Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hello and welcome to the Addicts Anonymous podcast. I'm your host, Jim Mark. Today's episode 184, and we're going to be interviewing Amber. How are you doing today, Amber? Very well, and you? I'm also doing well. I'm glad to hear it. So let's start off here. Tell me about your childhood and growing up. Um, I lived a very, very like normal, simple childhood, raised by um two normal, non you know addicted parents. Um, my dad was in the navy, and my mom was a stay-at-home mom when I was little and then, you know, went to work later on when my parents divorced. So I was um, five when my parents got divorced and I lived with my mom. And um, how, did the I- divo- how did the divorce affect you? Um, You know, it... It didn't affect me initially when when it first happened because I was young and my dad was not around a lot because he was in the Navy. So, um, and like on big submarines, like my dad was gone for months at a time. Um, so it wasn't anything out of the ordinary at first until then we had to, you know, like start... My father um, had a brain tumor and had to have it removed and had to have a steel plate put in his head. So he had a medical discharge. So then after he, you know, couldn't serve anymore and we had to bounce from house to house. And, you know, our parents, like my mom and dad, both had other significant others introduced. Then it became. So they were cheating on each other? No, 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 just they were divorced, but like when I started, you know, dating and there were other women that weren't my mom over at my dad's house when we went, because we only saw my dad every other weekend. He lived in the next town over. I grew up in a very, very small rural area um, in upstate New York, about 70 miles south of Buffalo, where there were like two traffic lights, a grocery store, a gas station, and a McDonald's, like literally. So, um, my dad lived twenty minutes, like over in the next town, and then my mom started dating, and the man that she started dating was not my favorite person in the world. Um, and so it became trickier then. What became tricky? Dealing, like, navigating life, I guess, um, and emotions in a split, like, in a split household. Um, Especially because my stepdad was not um, my cup of tea. And 
did things that, you know, um, I still yet, like I've just recently started talking about. Um, what kind of things? <clears throat> my stepdad sexually molested me. So, um, and so did a neighbor of mine that, um, she was not much older than I was. She was a year or two older than I was. And, um, at the time I was about 10, 11, and I just recently started doing, um, EMDR therapy a year ago. What's and EMDR? <clears throat> EMDR therapy is a, um version of therapy where you <clears throat> it's electronic therapy where they like pull trauma that you have buried like buried buried um and this girl and I don't have all of like the recollections because like the trauma I've impacted that trauma so down that um I just recently, like, I just turned 43 in August, and um, up until about two years ago, I had no recollection that it even transpired, um, was doing therapy, you know, just as a regular, I provide mental health, I'm in the mental health field, okay. so of that, um, when COVID hit, like before COVID, I did therapy, but then when COVID hit and the world shut down, it didn't shut down for me. And we, I take on the weight of the world all week long. So I needed a way to, you know, um, get that out and vent. And in doing so, when I was addressing other areas that I was very well aware that happened because I am a um, survivor of other sexual traumas <clears throat> growing up when I was talking about those things, there were bits and pieces that were starting to like splash. Um, but not during therapy. Like when I would have a therapy session one day, I would come home and I would go to bed that night and I would have like these vivid nightmares in little pieces that would wake me up in cold sweats. And so eventually it happened enough times that I said something to my therapist about it. And then we you know, went down the avenues to eventually lead me to begin doing the EMDR therapy. And I started that about a year ago. It's um a very, very slow process because it's very, um, very powerful, I guess. It's very impactful. Um, so, uh, it brings up a lot, but it brings up a lot in pieces, and it's very confusing. Um, <clears throat> this girl was a next-door neighbor. She lived two um, houses over from us, and at that point, my mom and dad, you know, had been divorced, and my mom was dating my first stepdad. Um And she worked for the government during the day. She's still, you know, she's the assistant commissioner of the county that they live in now. Um, 
And she started out as a social worker, and that's what she was doing when I was a young kid. So she did that during the day. She bartended a couple nights a week, and she went to college at night to get her degree in social services. You know, so she wasn't around a lot. Um, We had a lot of babysitters, and this girl was a couple years older than me. I thought she was cool. She played the piano. So her mom agreed to let her give me piano lessons. And in turn, um, like she started kissing me and touching me and things that I thought were normal because like I was 10 or 11 years old. And um, I don't remember exact details, but I know that much transpired. Um, so like, that's where I'm at with that part of it, but I've been through a lot of sexual trauma. Um, and I started using substances around the age of 12. Like I started, you know, smoking cigarettes with my friends and drinking at, you know, my girlfriend's houses when I went for sleepovers and my stepdad, um, drank and played cards like drinking was a big thing because they played euchre euchre whatever you call it and had big card nights and um so I you know eventually started stealing liquor out of the liquor cabinet so I could take it to those sleepovers and um then when I was 13 so what did you you like about the alcohol you were saying what was the what, what did you like about it, I guess? <clears throat> I thought it would be free and fun and not worry about getting in trouble or fitting in because I never fit in. Like, my parents were divorced. I lived, you know, in a little rinky-dink apartment with my mom and my little sister at the time. Um, We got food stamps. I wore hand-me-down clothes, you know, like, so I was not that, that, um, you know, popular girl growing up, so I didn't fit in, so when I went and hung out with these kids, and I was smoking and drinking, and, and I could participate in providing the alcohol, too, then I fit in, and I was cool, and I had a purpose, right? Yeah, it's amazing <clears throat> what we will do when we're children just to fit in. It's because uh, we're social creatures by nature, so we want we mm-hmm. want that bond with other people. Sometimes we're willing to do stupid things for it. Oh yeah, and I did a lot of stupid things growing up. Like it didn't stop. Like even into my adult years, right? Um, but I know, like. The defining moment for me where alcohol wasn't fun anymore, like it wasn't, a, it wasn't about fitting in anymore. It was about um, numbing and not having to recall was when I was 13. I had a girlfriend and, you know, we used to orchestrate going to parties. We did that thing growing up where, you know, like back then I grew up before cell phones. I grew up before computers. Me you too. Know, 
Like I was 14, 15 years old before we had AOL and dial-up, right? Like, yeah. So, yeah. Like, Sounds about right. I, what, how old are you? I'm 39. I'm 43. I just turned 43 in August. So, so pretty close in age. Yes. And like, and I might have been, um, you know, a few years younger, give or, or older, give or take, when the whole AOL thing transpired. But we started where our computers connected by our landline telephones. Yeah. And don't even know what a landline telephone is now. <laughs> I know. So, it's amazing. Yes. I got a chuckle out of that TikTok video where they were asking all those questions about burnt CDs and, you know, <laughs> rotary phones and, and phone books. But my defining moment was um, we, you know, we had orchestrated, okay, we're telling my mom that I'm spending the night at your house and you're telling your mom you're spending the night at my house. And they never found out until, you know, after the fact, generally, right. Unless yeah. something happened. And, um, I had a really cool, you know, aunt through my stepdad, my first stepdad that was at the time a senior in high school. She was the popular one. She was the one everybody wanted to be the, you know, she was the um, prom queen and she had this amazing voice. And I will tell you, even 10 years ago, right before, you know, when my addiction was just starting to really spiral into its oblivion, um, she tried out for the voice. And the only reason that she didn't make it to round two was because she didn't have a, a storyline because they tend to look for people with storylines, right? Like addicts yeah. <laughs> who yeah. are in the and making their way. But, um, but here's the deal. She was cool. She was the one everybody wanted to be. And she's the one I idolized and trusted. And, um, I went to a party with her, you know, a party with this girlfriend of mine rather than where we, where I was supposed to be safe and sound at her house. And there was a lot of alcohol there. And, um, I had stolen a couple of bottles of alcohol from the liquor cabinet at my house. Once, or one, one of them, not beknownst to me at the time was like a 15-year-old bottle of Corona beer that my dad had gotten in Mexico when he was in the Navy. And neither one of my parents, my biological parents, drank. Um, my dad smoked cigarettes, but my mom never smoked a cigarette, never drank, you know, nothing like that, right? Um, so like this bottle sat, I chugged that and then proceeded to chug a fifth of um, vodka to the head because I didn't know any different. And then they also added other alcohol, like liquors in that I knew nothing about. Um, so fast forward to later on in the night, I ended up, I woke up across the street outside of this, <clears throat> this house. The, party the neighbor's was, house? Um, well, it was, <laughs> that the party was at yeah um, but I woke up outside of that house in a ditch with none of my clothes on oh my god 
raped me and all that were there like it was all it was just a few boys that my girlfriend like knew and got along with and I knew one of them because I went to school with you know them um but the other two were friends of his and I I didn't know who they were but um yeah my clothes were like inside of the house and so I had to walk a quarter of a mile with no clothes um down the road to a house and call my aunt to come and get me because I wasn't calling my mom right <laughs> and I sure as shit wasn't calling my dad so um she came and got me and and god bless her because she did try to save me from the situation like she knew I was gonna get my ass beat regardless of like what happened to me but I didn't tell her like she I'm sure you know, put two and two together and, um, knew something bad happened. We never really discussed the details of that night after the fact, even to this day, because she's not biologically related to me. She was, you know, my aunt through my first stepdad and my mom's not with him, obviously. Um, but not because of me. Like, she's not not with him because of what happened to me. So, <laughs> she, she stayed with my stepdad. And um, I was sent to live with my grandparents. Like, I was a really troubled child because of what I went through. I started spiraling. Alcohol um, wasn't enough to numb me. Were you numbing yourself, do you think, from the, I mean, back then, the sexual assault, did that weigh heavy on you? Most definitely. And here's why, right? Because I kept it a secret. Like, so that night, my aunt came and picked me up. She took me back. Um, my stepdad grew up on a dairy farm. So that's where my aunt lived because she lived with my grandma and grandpa at the time. She was a senior in high school. So she came to pick me up. And um, she tried to get me to throw up, and and it just wasn't working. I had alcohol poisoning because of that that old corona and all the alcohol I consumed. Later, um, come to find out, the ER doctor told my mom and dad if my if they hadn't gotten me there, I came within a tenth of dying from alcohol poisoning. Like they had just charcoaled me in time. Um, or I would have died from alcohol poisoning that night. But I never told anybody about the sexual assault. That's I the worst. I think that's the worst part of all of it is not having anyone you feel safe enough to tell. Mm -hmm. that's, yes. That's, 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 I mean, I can't even think about it. I have nothing to say to it I'm at a loss for words. Well, and here's where I struggled with that, right? Is that at that point, I had already, because my parents were divorced and my stepdad and I obviously, you know, were not getting along. I hated the man, like to the point where um, I was no angel. Like my mom, Ev, and I'll never forget it. 
every Wednesday night. My mom didn't come home from work at the end of the day. She would go directly to class at night, and then she would bartend after class. So she wouldn't come home until the middle of the night. I would already have. I would already be in bed, and by that point, I had to spend the entire evening with that man. So you know, um, and like, it didn't just include the ugly stuff. Like it was the. Like, I have memories of simple stuff. Like, he would sit in his recliner every single Wednesday night and eat peanut butter sandwiches and smack like a cow. Like, it was the little things. Yeah. Like, Mm. that I can remember, right, because they draw in on the things that caused me trauma. Um. And Star Trek, like, people will ask me to this day, like, people are floored. I don't watch Star Trek. I don't watch Harry Potter. I've never, I've never opened a Harry Potter book. And that's associated because I have one sibling that's a brother, and he doesn't talk to me, um, who is a half-brother with my mom and my stepdad, right? Um, and he was a Harry Potter fanatic, and I won't touch Harry Potter or Star Wars, Star Trek, any of that stuff, because my stepdad was into that stuff, and literally that was what was on the TV all night long. We weren't allowed to watch anything else, right? Um, And we had three channels, so it was... It was whatever he wanted to watch. But um, I remember like those little sensory things. And I hated Wednesday nights because my mom wouldn't come home on those nights. But my mom stayed with that man to give my brother the sense of normalcy, right? that my sister and I didn't have because we came up in a split home and she didn't want to do that to him. And it was easier to extract me. And at the, at the point when that night took place, I hated him so much that I had already like chased this man around the house with a butcher knife in hand one night, like, in the and, and like chased him out of the house and around the house in like six inches of snow. There was snow on the ground, anywho, right? Because I was mad and I didn't want to do what he was asking me to do. So I was no saint, but I was acting out because I wanted to be gone from him. I wanted a way out. And the alcohol wasn't enough at that point, right? I was always in trouble. I wasn't allowed to go anywhere half the time. So I really wasn't able to numb because I was always being watched. And then when that sexual assault took place, I was a pathological liar, always in trouble, always fueling shit. Who was going to believe me? So I didn't feel safe. It's exactly like you said. That's exactly what went through my mind. Nobody will believe me anyway. So what's the point? They're all going to think 
that I'm just saying it because I know what punishment is about to come to me the next day. And guess what? My mom and stepdad just moved into our home. So our front yard was all dirt and all rock. They had to get ready to, you know, plant grass. So I woke up. My dad was sitting in my kitchen. I got my ass beat. I wasn't allowed to eat or drink anything that entire day. Now, mind you, I had just had my stomach pumped and had bags of fluid <laughs> and just sent home from the from the emergency room, right? Because I was dehydrated, obviously. I had alcohol poisoning. Um, but, and then I had to pick rocks out of the front yard all day. Now, granted, when my dad left, my mom let me eat and drink. But I still had to pick the rocks. I still got my ass beat, right? And I endured all of that because I knew that whether I mentioned that sexual assault or not, that was coming. So why make it worse? You don't think your parents might have not given you the beating if they found out what had actually happened? No, I think my dad would have because it wasn't my mom. Um, it was like my mom never hands on us. And here's the catch. Here's the, the clicker is that I'm the oldest of seven. My youngest sibling is 22. She currently lives with my dad and my daughter, um, stepmom and all out in Los Angeles. Um, but I'm the only one that my dad, like, you know, ever physically, beat and put his hands on so I don't know what it was about me I have no idea but um my sister was the like in my eyes they all you know they all think that I I'm crazy and that I see things differently than everybody else but in my eyes my sister was the golden child like I was asked to play tra- on a traveling softball league, right? Like, I was scouted to play on a traveling softball league um, in my eighth grade year. And my mom said no because she couldn't travel me around. She couldn't afford it. She didn't have the time. She, you know, my dad wouldn't chip in and help because he didn't have a vehicle and da-da-da-da-da. So I couldn't do it, but yet Kristen came along a few years later, and when it was time for Kristen to shine, guess what we did? And I mean hardcore all the way up through college. Like, they went hardcore for her. And, like, that's how it was for everything with her. Um, Right down to I wanted when I turned 14. Couldn't have them. I was too young and irresponsible. She got them at 12. What did you want? I didn't hear you broke up a little bit. Oh, contacts. Contacts. Yeah, at 14. And I was too young. I was irresponsible. And mind you, I, at this point, lived with my grandparents. All my mom had to do was pay for them. But it was a no. But Kristen got him at 12. 
And so that's how it was. Um, And then, of course, you know, I said to you, I had another younger brother from my mom and my first stepdad. Um, And now he's 11 years younger than I am. So there is a huge age gap. And when Jordan was a baby is when I was leaving the home. So we didn't grow up under the same roof together. So we really don't have a relationship together um, or with one another still to this day. Um, And then I have three brothers that are up in the Syracuse area. They are from my dad's third, I want to say wife, because they were together for a very long time and she should have, you know, all but been his wife. They just didn't make it, you know, legal, right? Um, And you had asked about my parents cheating. And yes, one of my brothers happens to be a product of the fact that my dad slept with that woman while he was in the Navy. And um, Patrick was brought out you know, when he was seven, like we didn't know anything about Patrick until he was seven years old. But um, there's three of them and their mother is no longer alive because she died an alcoholic. So but um, I was very, very, very close to her. She was the one stepmom that I had that I was like that with. So her death played a huge part on like on me um but then I have two other brothers that live in like the Rochester area and they are from my dad's second wife so this is my dad's fourth wife they've been married 23 years yep I am the oldest the youngest is 22 um so you have a lot of siblings I do. I do have a lot of siblings. And like the sad part about it is like we really we didn't grow up together. We don't know much about each other. Like we try. Some of us try to communicate. Some of us are closer than others. Um, The one that like the brother that I told you was a product of, you know, like my dad's mishandlings. Um, I don't want to paint it in a bad light only because of the fact that, you know, like Greta is no longer with us and like Patrick and I are very, very close. So like, um, but, uh, we have a very, very close relationship because we all lived together when I lived with my dad as a teenager for a period of time. So when that sexual assault thing transpired, right, I really started spiraling out of control, started smoking weed. Um, I had a boyfriend at the time, like my boyfriend later on in my life ends up being my husband. Um, and so, um, I ran away from home one day, (laughs) got the bright idea to run away from home one day, right? Because I no longer wanted to live with my mom and my stepdad. This was before I had to, I had 
moved down here with my grandparents. And um, my boyfriend hid me. He was a he was a little bit older than me, only a year and a half. But his parents gave him more freedoms, and they had a big home, and it had an apartment attached to the back. So Jeremy was able to stay in the apartment. So, of course, I was, you know, hiding out back there. And um, my dad caught up with me and, and caught me. And, of course, you know, um, I definitely got in some trouble for that and got put on people in need of supervision, which is a probation that your parents like place you on so you do check in with a probation officer and stuff but your parents are more in control of it it's not through an actual judge um however that didn't stop me from misbehaving and I continue to spiral out of control and um when you say spiral what kind of things were you doing I was not going to school Drinking. Um, I was in seventh grade and got suspended for three days for taking beer to school. They found it in my locker, right? Like when I got there in the morning, my dumbass bragged to the girl next to me that I had it, and the girl next to me couldn't stand me. So she told them it for school for you know bringing beer. Um, I was smoking weed. I was beating the shit out of random people, um, and like, and I was mean. I like hurt people, hurt people. Mm -hmm. I was mean. Um, like I'll never forget it. My sister's childhood best friend. They're still best friends to this day. Her name's Amber. <laughs> Ironically enough, um, just I got it. She got on the bus the one day looked at me the wrong way and I walked up to her and punched her and broke her nose. Like I was angry, right? Like I had all this anger from that trauma that I had no idea was there because I didn't know how to identify any of it. Yeah. And, um, so when I couldn't numb it with the alcohol and the weed, I was acting out in other ways by steal. Oh, I loved to steal. I loved to tell you a lie. Um, I was a past stuff. Like, it was bad. Um, that took me a lot of work. And I even had to work a lot on that in early recovery. Like, the pathological part wasn't there. Once I took the drugs and alcohol away, but the, maybe the, um, the crutch of, oh, I could lie and just get out of it. It'd be so much easier to just lie. I had to really hone in on that. Like I had to practice telling the truth. Um, now I'd probably have to practice lying to you, but <laughs> it's so I started to act out in those ways. I um would date boys that I knew my dad would have a problem with. Um, you know, like any kind of boy that smoked, did drugs, 
didn't have to go to school, you know, didn't have parents that cared. Essentially, that was my crowd of people. Um, and so my dad kind of tried to like hone me in and lock me down. And then I just acted out even more. Um, he would go to visit my brothers. He would have to travel. There were stipulations, you know, custody things. So he'd have to leave for the weekend and go visit on their terms. That would leave me at home alone for the weekends. And I would throw these big parties. Well, I threw one that got my dad's, like, coins stolen, his stamp collection stolen. A lot of collectibles, it sounds like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, like, so those were all the ways, right, that I was spiraling out of control. So the pins in need, like this, the supervision, it wasn't working. So my parents put me into placement. They put me into a juvenile detention center. And, um, that just pissed me off and I retaliated. And started acting out even more. Started finding friends who had parents that would let me crash on their couches, right? Um, I was beating girls up. I was catching charges to the point where I beat the one girl up. Next thing you know, I'm being arrested. And um, I was arraigned. I was 17. I'll never forget it. It was the one and only time. I ever went to jail and, um, you know, I stayed overnight. They brought me in, in front of the judge and the judge asked me if I had anybody that would be responsible for me. And I didn't think that I would because I called everybody. My grandmother told me, I've told you a long time ago, you do the crime, you do the time. And she hung up on me. My mom told me that she's not there. She's not going to keep bailing me out of trouble. My dad didn't answer. Well, my dad didn't answer because all of a sudden in the back of a courtroom, I'm hearing him tell the judge he'll be responsible for me. So that was great. So I did have to go home on conditions, you know, to him. Um, and uh, that was a turning point for me and for my relationship with my dad. I went home with my dad, and it was just me and him at this point. He worked. I had to get a job because I had fines and stuff to pay for this. Um, I had a bank account. Fast forward a little bit. AOL was now a thing. My dad met my stepmom that he's now married to. He lives in Los Angeles, California. Um, my fines and like restitution were all due. And about three days before I was due in front of the judge, my dad emptied my bank account and acted like he was heading off for work and bought a plane ticket and caught himself out to California. And that was the last time I saw my dad. Until I was 34 years old and my grandfather died and my grandmother died. And he came home for 
her funeral. So, um, oh no, I'm lying. It was, it was my grandfather first. And then he came back out for my grandmother's funeral. So, um, so at what point did your drug abuse, what was your main drug of choice? Mine was, um, pain medication and opiate. How did you get into opiates? I got into a major car accident with my husband and got diagnosed pain medication and it just kind of spiraled out of control. Like it, it wasn't enough. And I kept taking more. Um, I worked in the medical fields. I worked um, alongside doctors. So it was very, very easy to feed my habit. And I just had to pay the cash to buy the prescriptions from the doctors that I worked with. Um, And my husband made very, very good money. He was an engineering foreman on the railroad. And he was only home about 10 to 15 days a year. Major Mm -hmm. holidays. Yeah. Mostly major holidays if we were lucky. So it was very easy to hide. Like I'm five hours away from any, you know, closest family member. And then um, I only had my daughter living under my roof until she was 10. And so it was just me. And I was a very high functioning addict. Like I was the cheerleading captain for her cheerleading team. I was the soccer um, coach for the soccer team. I was the youth group leader at church. And I was the classroom mom for her, you know, her stuff at school. So, and I also carried a job um, until I chose not to work. I knew at a certain point that I was risking people's lives. And I took an oath to, to not do that. And once I was aware of that, then I gave my husband an excuse as to why I wanted to, you know, stay home. Um, Eventually, I was taking, like, Skittles, like, handfuls. I had Oxy-80s, Oxy-30s, Dilaudid 8s, and I mean, I would take them all at once. I couldn't function. I couldn't get out of bed in the morning without a handful of pills to do my daughter's hair, get her lunch packed, get her off to school, you know, like get her, like my kid was too good to ride the school bus. So I had to get her until my addiction got, you know, too overwhelming and off the rails because then I didn't care. Then I didn't even bother to get out of bed. Like, it got to the point where it progressed enough where Jasmine got herself up and got herself ready for school. And nobody knew because there was nobody to hold me accountable. I appeared from the outside to be a functioning addict. Um, until, you know, Christmas morning of 2015, Jeremy came home for Christmas. His birthday was Christmas Eve, so... I always made a big dinner for him. Um, So we did that, went to church, woke up Christmas morning, opened gifts, did breakfast. I began Christmas dinner um, and overdosed and went into a seizure. 
and um like broke the bottom panel of the dishwasher off of like with the back of my head and um like I said my husband didn't know I guess from conversations with my mom now you know um my husband at some point did tell her after the fact that he had suspicions but it was confirmed that day because then he went through the house looking and um what was confirmed what was confirmed that you had an addiction issue oh yeah that i was okay. like that i had an addiction issue and that i was addicted to um pain medication because he found the pill bottles like i like i said i had any kind of pain medication under the sun that you could possibly desire right um all different milligram strengths and um not only that but like I also had prescription bottles in other people's names, right? Like fake names um, because I had fake IDs because I would go to different states. Like I live in the tri-state area. I made it a living. I would drop Jasmine off at school the first Friday of the month. My five, and I got five prescriptions filled with 180 tablets of each medication, right? Um, every Friday, every Friday. But the first week of the month, it was covered under my insurance state, of, you know, the standard stuff. Second week of the month, I'd go get my scripts, drive to New Jersey, Hit a pharmacy that I can pay out of pocket for them with, right? And get them filled. I made it a living. Every Friday, I would get up. I would drive Jasmine to school. And then I was on a mission. I would go pick up my prescriptions. And then I would go to what wherever I needed to go. So I could get it done in time to get back to pick Jasmine up from school at the end of the day. Right? And yeah. then do something. So I did that. For many, many, many years until I was caught. Um, and <laughs> you're going to understand that this is a man that, mind you, I said, I was 13 years old when I fell in love with my husband. He was my high school sweetheart. I lost my virginity, my virginity to him. Not what was taken from me, but my virginity I lost to my husband. Um, and, like, granted, my children are not products of my husband's. We did have a, a time where we separated in high school for a few years, and then we found each other again when Facebook first took off and and people were reconnecting right due to facebook mm -hmm. flourishing so um but this man was on a pedestal like i i absolutely adored and loved my husband and i took wedding vows that say like um in sickness and in health right till death mm -hmm. to his heart and uh Now, 
this is a man that watched that happen. My daughter was 10. It was Christmas Day. He must have made sure that, you know, she was going to be okay for that day. I don't really think he thought I was going to be out of it for as long as I was. But, like, I woke up two days after Christmas for the first time. So Jasmine essentially took care of herself for two days. Um, didn't contact the outside world because my daughter had, had watched me at this point enough to know, and I didn't know this at the time, right? But she had watched me obviously nod and, and dip in and out enough to know that mom will come back eventually. So she must've just been waiting it out and not letting the outside world know. Um, but my husband packed up his stuff, emptied our bank accounts and took off. I had no idea that we didn't have any money or anything. So I wake up two days later. Um, here's Jasmine, you know, Christmas dinner still laid out on the, on the kitchen counter. So of course I've got a mess to clean up. I'm trying to call my husband. No answer. Of course. Um, I go to get in my car. My car won't start. I have no idea why. So then I try to, like, get an Uber. Can't get an Uber because I don't have any money. But I don't have any money. None of my cards will work. So I'm putting pieces together, right? And so I just kind of. I acted like I did what we do in addiction. My life was totally unmanageable at that point, but I acted like nothing was happening. It was, <clears throat> and I just let it spiral. So, um, like the landlord eventually ended up knocking on the door and I was like, you know, doing that hiding behind door shit and, and not making sure that he couldn't see my shadow and stuff, you know, like, so that he had no clue I was home and, um, not answering the bill collector's phone calls and, you know, like scheming to get my bills paid and to keep from having shit shut off and even when the electric was shut off or this utility or that utility was shut off it wasn't enough for me I still hit it still hit it so what do I do I get on the phone and because I've got a medical background I tell my family that I have cancer, stomach cancer, so that it's something that's not crazy, right, that I can know what I'm talking about and justify taking handfuls of pills, and then they're going to feel sorry for me. And that's exactly what happened. My mom comes down from New York State, spends a month with me and Jasmine to take care of me, right? My grandmother at 73 years old then did the same thing and left my grandfather at that time. My grandfather was still alive with dementia in a nursing home. My grandmother left him up there to be taken care of by them 
to come down and take care of me and my daughter. All the while, I didn't really need it. Um. So at what point did you realize you needed to get sober and change your life around? When did the change happen? So... It came down, and when my grandmother had to leave to go back, it was like a couple of weeks, and I had called my mom and said, hey, mom, I'm really, really sick. Can you come get Jazz and take Jasmine? But it was a combination of things, right? It was, I knew that things were spiraling, and my landlord he was getting, like, the notices were getting more, um, or the notices were now coming from the magistrate's office and not just from him, like the secretary at their office. Um, they filed for legal eviction on me, so I knew that my time was running out. Um, so they came down, they packed up my stuff while I was laying in the middle of my living room floor high asleep now mind you they think i'm sick so they just felt bad and continued to pack up my stuff so then they did that and i went to go stay with a family friend um from church so they dropped me off there and they took jasmine with them to new york state and about a month later, Jasmine called me and said, Mommy, school's going to start in two weeks. Are you going to be, are you going to come get me so you can do my hair all pretty for the first day? She was getting ready to start fifth grade. This is the first time I hadn't been there for the first day of school. And um, I knew I wasn't going to be. So I told her I wasn't sure and that my battery was going to die and I had to call her right back and I had to hang up. So I dropped to my knees and um, told God that like I needed help. And then I picked up the phone and called my mom and my sister and told them I was an addict. And that I didn't know what to do because, like, none of us knew what to do, right? Like, I didn't even really know I was an addict. Um, I just, like, kind of said it because I knew something was off and that I couldn't function and I was going to get sick if I didn't have these pills and that I was scared of what would happen if I didn't have like my next one in me in time. Um, so they picked up phones and I got myself or we got myself into a medical detox. I went into a five day detox from there. Um, I did a five day medical detox because I had to be detoxed from opiates and benzos. Um, and, uh, at the end of my five days, 
I thought I was going in for a 30-day treatment. <laughs> At the end of my five-day detox, they pulled me up to the front of the office and said, Amber, your insurance doesn't cover. And now, mind you, I had top-notch insurance. My husband worked for the railroad. Um, your insurance doesn't cover 30-day treatment. Okay, well, what am I supposed to do? Well, we don't know. You're going to have to find one that, but for right now, we just, we have to discharge you. And until you find one, you'll have to go home. <laughs> oh, no, I won't. So I took my suitcase, my pillow, and my daughter's teddy bear. And I went to the emergency room and walked in the doors and said, listen, I'm an addict. I just came out of a five-day detox, and if you let me walk out the doors, I'm going to be dead tonight. So they kept me there um, for three weeks, up in the cardiac unit, up on, like, in the cardiac floor. Uh, I wasn't, like, hooked up to anything, right? Like, they just gave me a bed, and I shit you not, the human resources girl, but I said to her, I'm bipolar. I'm a victim of trauma. I have PTSD. I'm fucked up. So, like, I need something more than just, like, the drug problem taken care of. <laughs> um, and so she fought. And she fought hard. It took her 23 days, but that woman, and I'll never forget her name, I send her a card every year <laughs> for administration, like Administrative Assistance Day um, to the hospital because she still works there. You know, and she was young at the time. Like, she could have written me off as, you know, like a stepboard wife mom. Like, oh, yeah, you came from this cookie-cutter life and, you know, you got addicted to pills and think your shit don't stink and now look at you. You know, but she didn't. Um, Because the place that I went, uh, like, my insurance kicked it back four times before they finally said, okay, enough is enough. This woman's not going to give up, right? Um, So I'll never forget it because it was like, it was a Monday night and it was um like 5.15 at night. The news, I was watching the weather, <laughs> the 5 o'clock news. And she came into my room and she always used to do that right before she'd leave for the day. And it would always be, Amber, they kicked it back again. Amber, I'm still trying. Amber, I'm going to try these places tomorrow. Um, And she came in and she said to me, <laughs> so you know how you were nervous that if you sent, because I had all of my regular street clothes, right? So I didn't wear a hospital gown. I wore all of my regular clothes and I would just bag them up once or twice. Um, 
a couple of times and they would send them down to laundry for me to get them washed. They were great with me. Um, so I said to her earlier that I said to them or the nurse earlier that afternoon, you watch, I'm going to send my clothes down. Today's my lucky day. I just got this gut feeling. I'm going to send my clothes. And then, um, Nicole's going to come up and tell me that I've got to pack up and go and I'm going to have to pack all my clothes all wet. <laughs> and she came up and came into my room and she said to me, Amber, um, I've got some news. And I said to her, are they finally making you, you know, kick me out of here? Because like, come on, I've been there three weeks by now and it was a hospital, right? Um, and there were legit cardiac patients coming in there next to me. And here I am taking up a bed waiting for a rehab. So, um, she said, we sure are kicking you out. We're kicking you out to rehab. <laughs> I, You need to pack. And if you're going to eat, eat. And I'm like, are you serious? And she was very serious. Um, And where I went was, um, well, you might actually be familiar. I don't know exactly where you're at. But um, I went to Valley Forge. And, you know, like. It's a dual diagnostic treatment facility. And from where I'm located and what hospital I was in, it's almost a two-hour drive. Um, well, an hour and a half. Yeah, it was from the hospital I was in um, at the time. But they paid, like, the hospital wrote me a voucher. They called me a cab, and a cab drove me from the hospital to rehab, and they paid the $188 cab fare to get me there. And I was terrified. I was a 36-year-old woman. Um, like, third, no, I was 37 at that point. Yeah, because I celebrated my 37th birthday in a hospital. Um, but I was 37 years old, freshly 37 years old. And for the first time walking into a rehab. And I mean, like, there were people that were high out of their mind. Mind you, I've been, you know, I've detoxed and been in the hospital. So I'm a month clean and sober at this point. I don't have any mind-altering substances in me. I think the only thing I had at that point was, um, like, the antihist the visceral, the antihistamine they give you for mm -hmm. right? That was it. Um, and I was terrified. And there was, like, this one person, I'll never forget him. He was, like, this kind gentleman. And he knew that, I had never been, I was new to this. I had no idea what I was doing and I was batshit scared out of my mind. And he kind of like walked me through the process and I spent seven weeks in that facility and decided to um, like further my recovery. A lot of people get court ordered or mandated in the recovery. I did not. I then went into a six month women's 
in babies intensive rehab. You could have your kids. My daughter was safe and sound with my family. So she stayed with them. Um, and I completed six months in there. It was essentially like being in jail. You earned the privilege to come out to attend one meeting per weekend. They chose whether you were attending AA or NA, who you were going to go with. Um, and you walked right there and you came right back. That was your only outside world contact. You weren't allowed to have caffeine. So you didn't drink soda or coffee. You didn't have coffee at meetings. You weren't allowed. You sat in the front row. You didn't smoke at meetings. None of that. Like, I went to an intense rehab. No phones. I did not have my cell phone. It's called contracting. If somebody gave you a cigarette, if you were out of cigarettes before store day, it was called contracting, right? So you'd get in trouble for that. Um, but uh, I completed that and then went to a halfway house and I completed the three-month program there. And then went to a recovery house and became a recovery a house manager. I lived there for a year and then ventured out into the world of my own. Um, and I've got a little over six years clean in the process of my recovery. I've gone back to school. I've obtained a um, bachelor's degree in early childhood psychology and trauma. I specialize in trauma. I'm a behavioral specialist, um, so I make indirect amends every single day, um, especially to my kids, because I caused a lot of damage there, um, but, like... Sounds like you're doing good. I am. <laughs> Recovery has gifted me a lot. But it hasn't been easy either. And I have faced a lot in recovery that um, I had to face clean, right? Um, this program has awarded me a lot. It has taught me how to be independent when I was in active addiction and early in recovery. Like up until like my fourth and fifth year of recovery. I was very codependent. I didn't know how to be happy with just me. I um, had no self-worth, no self-esteem whatsoever. I love myself today. I believe in myself today. Um, I get up every single day with a purpose. I want to give back what was given to me, right? Because what was given to me was free. Um, and it doesn't cost me a thing to give it back. And the person I probably damaged the most in my active addiction is my daughter. Um, because my other kids, like, I didn't give, I wasn't in full force act. I used substances 
Um, but I wasn't in active addiction when I gave them up for adoption. They were given up for adoption for other reasons. Um, and it had, it was totally outside of the whole addiction scope of things, right? But when it comes to Jasmine, Jasmine and I were attached at the hip until she was 10. And, um, there was a lot of damage caused in that relationship. And in order to repair that, I have to stay clean. I have to keep doing the next right thing. And I have to make her proud. But in order to make her proud, I have to be proud of me, right? And I have to believe in me. And that's where it all starts. So, um, like, I think that that's, like, my biggest lesson in that is that a grateful addict will never, ever use. And as long as I remember every single second that I am grateful for the chance at life that I have today, I'll never pick up again. Good for you. Thank you. So you are getting towards the end here. Did you have anything else that you want to throw in or add? You've done great so far today. You did a hell of a job. I don't think so. I know I get off topic. Like I have short-term stuff and memory things that go on because of the accident. So I hear one thing or I say one word and I branch off into left field. So I hope I didn't do that. No, no, you were fine. I'm the same way too. It's just also I have me personally, I have ADHD. So that doesn't help any bit. Same here. Same there. Yeah. Same here. And of course, all of the good stuff for ADHD, we can't take, I can't take. So exactly. You know, the stuff like, and don't get me wrong, because I've tried a couple of them. Like, I take one that is non-habit forming, that, like, helps me center a little as far as, like, I take it to do my documentation for work, and it helps me a little bit, but it doesn't last long. So, yeah, I bounce. I'd rather bounce and be crazy and loopy than not know what I'm saying and not and have regrets, right? So Exactly. Better <laughs> not have regrets. That's right. All right. So I really want to say thank you very much. I really do appreciate you coming on the podcast today. Thank you. No, it was a pleasure. So sit tight for me. And for everybody watching and listening, if you like what you saw and heard, go below and give us a like. Also subscribe to see when we upload new videos. You can also check us out on all social media platforms, such as Twitter, Reddit, Instagram, Facebook, Tumblr, TikTok, you name it, we're on it. Also, go check out our website, www.addicts-anonymous.com. There you will find plenty of free resources as well as free literature. So that's all we have for today. I hope you enjoyed it. And until next time.